0: Hey, everybody. It's Kindle from the Recording Lounge Podcast. Today, we're doing an FAQ about our latest series, Let's Mix and Master a Song. Now, I've gotten a handful of questions uh, from this podcast, and I just thought it'd be a good idea to sort of recap what we've done. Now, if you haven't listened to the series, that's okay. These questions still might be good, and you might be wondering them. Uh, however, some of them will apply to things in that series, So it might be more helpful if you have listened to them, but regardless, we're going to go ahead and get started. So these are questions that were submitted uh, about that series, and uh, these were from fans and supporters. I even have a question from the band in here, uh, because as you might remember, the band, Cabin Company, they recorded this song themselves at their... Uh, at their home studio and so they even had a couple questions for me so uh, that'll be really cool so I've got about 12 questions here that we're going to go over first things uh, let's see here uh, what is a transient designer and how does it work I noticed you used it on the snare drum and kick drum and it really helped ok so uh, I talked about it a little bit in the show but a, a transient designer is, a, is basically a simple little intuitive plug-in or processor they have it in hardware form also that does a combination of compression, expansion, and gating. And I'm not quite exactly sure if it's, like, frequency-specific. I know that they have one. Uh, Plugin Alliance makes one called the Transient Designer Plus that has a sidechain filter in there. But um, base, And then I know that SoftTube actually has a two-band Transient Designer. I don't remember what they call it. Um, but basically... It is a simple way of allowing you to control things in a more sort of musical-minded manner. Uh, my two preferences are the uh, tra- the Transient Master from Native Instruments and the uh, SPL Transient Designer Plus from Plugin Alliance. Um, both of these plugins allow me to sort of get what I need, and they're very simple. Most of them just contain attack... And it's less or more, and release or sustain, and it's less or more. So you can add more attack to a snare, or add more sustain to a snare, or make a snare sustain less, or a kick sustain less, or something like that. Now, yes, you could get there with a gate and a compressor and an expander, but it's sort of like having three plugins in one. Um, I find that it's really useful on drums. To sort of help you shape the transience of toms and kicks and snares. My personal experience doesn't find it being used on a whole lot of other things other than drums and like percussive stuff. Um, I've used it on bass before with some success. Uh, I haven't ever used it on a vocal. I might have used it on a guitar now that I think about it. Uh, I have used it on like cymbals to increase the sustain, um, but that can also be done with automation and things like that, just you know, bringing up the level as it sustains. Uh, but it's a really time-saving plugin, in and, and it's intuitive, it's simple, and uh, yeah, they're usually not too expensive either. It's, it's a really great plug uh, They also make hardware version to have in your arsenal. All right, next question. I don't have a lot of the plugins that you used in these series, and I don't have any analog gear. Am I doomed, or can I still get good results in my mixes? Uh, of course, you can get great results no matter what plugins you have. Now, sure, there are certain plugins that uh, make things easier, but they don't have to be the ones that I use. That's one reason I don't spend a lot of time in the series talking about, you know, I'm using this specific compressor. I might mention it here and there, but, uh, you know, I'm using this specific compressor or that specific compressor. Because at the end of the day, regardless of what it costs or who makes it or what gear it looks like or pretends to emulate or whatever, you put on a pr- plug-in... And you mess with it for a little bit. If it works, if it does what you want, great. If it doesn't, then try something else. Now, if you only have one compressor plugin, you know, well, there is going to be a point um, when you can't really go any farther with that particular plugin because of the way that it's designed. Now, there are compressor plugins out there that are really, really versatile, uh, but most of them aren't, you know, the stock compressor that comes with your DAW. Now, most uh, DAWs today have a lot of great stock compressor plugins that work fine. Now, do I prefer working with the ones that I have? Yes. Why? Well, because I've tested them out. I've tried them out. I've searched and searched and searched for different compressors that I like, and they all do slightly different things. They all respond differently. They have different attack curves and release curves. They have different detector circuits. They have different ratios. They have different attack and release times. They have different circuit topology emulations, so some of them are emulating... Tube technology, others are emulating sort of VCA compressors, others are emulating sort of these like fast aggressive FET compressors. Uh, you know, it, it, they're all different. And the more that you do this, the more you'll understand okay, well, I know the sound of that. It's just like, you know, if you're a musician, you know that, okay, if I want this type of sound, I'm going to pull out a Strat, or I'm going to pull out a Ludwig snare, or I'm going to pull out a big 24-inch crash cymbal, or I'm going to pull up, you know, a, a P bass, or I'm going to pull up a Yamaha, or I'm going to pull up a Rhodes or an upright piano. So, you know, it, it, it's the same thing. You know, the, the mix is my instrument in this situation, and... You know, it, it, compressors and EQs and reverbs and delays—they're all my instruments. And so, when I'm thinking about okay, what's going to nail this sound? Um, yes, it is a—it's—it's—it's it's, it's more particular and more specific than the difference between a Strat and a Les Paul, you know. But um, you get used to it. That's what you learn. Those are the differences that you learn. You know, guitar players are going to sit there and you know immediately hear the difference between a tube screamer and a big muff but you know a non-guitar player might not understand that you know a drummer might just say well they're both distortion pedals right what's it what's the difference that one has more and you know guitar players will laugh and say well no i mean they're like totally different sounding like a big muff is like a fuzz and you know what i mean this one's not um so it's it's the same type thing. You know, this compressor has this sound, this compressor has that sound. This eq has these types of curves. That Eq has these types of curves and this way in this type of response. and sometimes things just respond better. Now, yes, I'm a firm believer that if you under understand the tools, um you know, as as much as possible, you're then free to do anything. I'm not of the idea that, understanding things limits us I think that's a weak philosophy I think some people say that you know you hear some guitar players or you know bass players or whatever say like oh well you know Jimi Hendrix couldn't read music and I think that understanding music theory like hinders you and doesn't allow you to be creative I think that's a cop out I really do I think it's lazy Uh, you know, you look at any great jazz musician and they can all read music and you look at any great classical musician and they can all read music. They all understand music theory. And there's a reason because when they understand those things, you know, they can uh, be free to then explore outside because they know what's supposed to be there or they know what makes sense in the, in theory. Um, And it's the same with audio, you know, if you understand how these compressors work, and I'm not talking about like, you don't have to dive into the electronics side of it, but just take time and learn, okay this compressor, this specific compressor has this kind of sound. Let's see what happens when I do this, when I do that. Now let me compare that to this compressor, and this, you know, compressor, and this limiter, and this compressor. And just compare how they all sound different. And yes, demo plugins. I don't, You know, if you can't afford them, that's okay. Just demo different plugins and try to get an idea of, okay, why do people always talk about this plugin? You know, why, what, why are people so crazy about this plugin? And Push it to its limits and see, you know, compress the crap out of something. I highly recommend testing out plugins on things like drums and vocals. Those seem to be the easiest places to really hear compression. And, you know, you're not going to hurt it. It's a plugin. Like, dime the threshold, make the compression aggressive, and really hear what's happening. So, uh, to answer your question, no, you don't need the same plugins as I had to get a good mix I use the plugins because I like them. They make sense to me. I can work quickly with them. I've tested tons and tons and tons of plugins over the years. I own I mean hundreds of plugins I've accumulated and you know I don't use more than probably 30 of them, 30 or 40 of them on your average mix even though I probably own 200 plugins, 300 plugins at this I don't even know how many honestly. I'm afraid to know. Um, but, you know, I only use the ones that I really understand that I can, that really make sense to me, that I can get good sounds quickly and effectively. Um, and every now and then I'm like, Hey, well, why not try this one? I haven't used that plugin in forever. And sometimes it can spark a new creative idea. A good example is the Waves H-Delay plugin. That's not a plugin that I use a ton, but the other day, I was like, you know, this was part of a bundle that I bought, and I am a big fan of SoundToy's uh, Echo Boy, and it's kind of like the only delay plugin I, I really like and use all the time, but I pulled up the H-Delay, and I just sort of messed around with it a little bit. I was like, wow, that's that's pretty cool. I, you know, I could probably get that sound in Echo Boy, but this was quick, and it sounds great, so I used it. Um, so those are really great things. I, I, I really can't stress enough. You just gotta try stuff and mess with it and experiment. I know it takes a lot of time, but um, you know, I, I don't know how else to say it. Like welcome to this, you know, study. <laughs> welcome to audio engineering. It takes a lot of time. Be patient, keep your chin up. You are getting better. Really try to listen for the differences between the plugins. And, uh, sure, if you can upgrade your plugins as you go, go for it. It's great to have different plugins, but no, you don't need the same plugins that I used. Okay, next question. How do you know what you're listening for? You said something in the podcast like, I need this to sound like XYZ, but did you, how did you know it needed to sound like XYZ? Thanks. Okay, so what I think they mean by this question is basically... You know, how did I know in my mind, you know, this sound is currently not right, um, but I need it to sound like this, and I know, what to, I know what to do to get it there. Or at least I have an, an idea. So this is sort of a two-part answer. The first thing is, how did I know I wanted it to sound like that? Uh, The first part of this is more about understanding the song and trying to serve the song than anything else. Um, I I have an idea in my mind. I try to at least get an idea in my mind of how I want the song to sound finished. And I can't necessarily hear all the parts individually in my mind, but sometimes I... I guess that's part of the art of it. It's a hard question to answer because I don't necessarily know that I want something to sound a certain way, but I have an idea in my mind that says, okay, that might work. You know, that might make sense. Uh, And so I try it and it works. So, hey, that's great. The more that you do this, the more those sorts of thoughts will be known because you've, you know, uh, had a catalog of things in your mind that – you could try. I mean, there's 150 different combinations you could try on a electric guitar that, you know, might have worked in the past. And so you think, all right, well, I know that this compressor does this type of sound. Uh, I know that the guitar needs probably a little bit of reverb. Uh, I know that um, I kind of want it to be a little bit brighter but not harsh and so your brain sort of puts those pieces together quickly and says, like, all right, well, maybe I'll try this plug-in and that plug-in, and that's how it needs to sound. Or uh, another thing that happens often, to me at least, is that I'll hear a sound in a mix, and it'll inspire me. In my mind, I'll think about a song or a sound— Or, you know, something that I heard on the radio or something I heard at a concert or whatever or in a a friend's mix or in, you know, whatever that tweaks my brain and says, oh, yeah, that kind of reminds me of this thing or like – you know, that old Beatles song, or hey, that reminds me of that song I heard on the radio, or hey, that reminds me of whatever, and then you kind of try to emulate that and draw inspiration from that, or maybe it's even a reference that the band gave you, like, oh yeah, they gave me this CD, uh, you know, this band, whatever, and they had something kind of like that in their mix, maybe I could try something like that. So that's also a factor. So that's the first part of the question. You, It sort of just comes to me in my mind, and you know, you could call that partly experience, you could call it, you know, that I really try to understand the song, um, you know, before I go, like, I, I'm sort of, as I'm mixing, um, you know, I'm slowly sort of gathering data about the song in my mind, and like, what is the vibe of the song, and what's the point of the song, and what makes the song tick, and I'm trying to, you know, in my mind, I'm trying to have this sort of like clear picture. It's almost like you're slowly, you know, defogging a window or something. Like, you know, you're you're slowly clearing up that picture of like, okay, this makes a little more sense to me. Like, I kind of get where this is going. And eventually you get to a point where you feel like, all right, this is what the song is supposed to be. Now that I know what the song is kind of supposed to sound like, what's standing in the way of that? That's another part of it, too. Now, the second part of this question sort of deals with the perception of whatever it is I'm working on. So let's say it's a snare drum. Uh, somebody left a comment on the Facebook page that said something like, you know, you transform those drums. I can't believe you did it without samples. And, well, I appreciate that. But um, the I think what people are wanting to know is, like, for example, on the snare, how did I get the snare drum to sound that way, you know, without using samples? How did I know, like, what I needed to do to it? And that's, unfortunately, a lot of that is experience and time and a good monitoring environment and, you know, no fear when it comes to processing. If I need to add four, five, six plugins to a snare to make it sound how I want it to, then, you know, I will. But if Adding one plug-in is all I need. I also am not afraid to do that. You know, I'm not a slave to like, oh, well, I've got to compress the snare. You know, if, if you don't need to, you don't need to. And how do I know when I don't need to? Well, that's experience and that's time. And you will get better at that, I promise. You will get better at knowing kind of like, all right, this is kind of what I have to do to get this snare to, you know, do what I want it to do. And it's not like I have this sort of preset thing in my mind, and I really want to get you guys off of this. I've received a lot of questions over the years about people struggling with mixing or with, uh, you know, whatever it may be—a snare or a, or a whole mix or a vocal or whatever—and I will see comments made like, "Well, I usually do this, this, and this to a vocal, and you know, I usually do this to my mix bus, and." Personally, I'm just not a fan of doing anything habitually when it comes to mixing. My philosophy is that you need to... Now, sure, there are things that make sense to do in sort of presets. Like, if there's a reverb that you like, that you use often, like, okay, you know, that's no problem, but that's, you know, that's a little different. I'm talking about, like, well, I usually add some EQ to the vocal, like some add some top end or whatever, or I usually add some this or that to the bass... And it's like, well, every single player, every single song, every single performance, every single, everything is different. You can't, you cannot mix by presets. If you want to get better, you will ditch presets when it comes to EQ and compression and things like that. Presets with delay and reverb, you know, those are fun, those are, you know, have a blast, experiment with those, tweak them as you want, you know, please tweak them, please spend time tweaking your reverbs and delays, EQ them, do whatever you want to do to them, you know, don't just settle for the stock presets, but when it comes to EQ and compression, uh, presets are completely ridiculous, there's no EQ, I mean, Think about it. Let's say I recorded a guitar with a really dark vintage ribbon mic, and I gave it to you to mix, and then I said, oh, I'm going to send you a second guitar, and I recorded it with a super bright small diaphragm condenser. You really think that the same EQ or compression treatment is going to work on both of those sounds? No, they won't, but you can't just say like, oh, well, it's a clean electric guitar, so I guess I'll do this it makes no sense. And I'm the same player. I mean, imagine from band to band, from player to player, they're using a different guitar, a different amp. It's a different day. The tubes are a little bit warmer on this session or whatever. Like everything is different. You really need to get in the zone and understand mixing is about listening and responding. You listen to what's there. You try to imagine what it's supposed to sound like in the context. What makes sense for the song? What will support the song? What serves the song? You listen to that. You imagine and in your mind. You have sort of a plan in your mind and a vision for what is supposed to be. Um, and then you try to get it there using the tools of the trade. It's there's really no other way to do it. You know, you can't just say, "Oh, well, I always do this on snare drum." Um, because also, there's the other factor of, well, if you always have to do that on a snare drum, something might be wrong. You know what I mean? Like, if you always have to, let's say you always have to cut, like, Tons of low end from your snare drum. Maybe you don't mic up your snare drum correctly, or maybe you are using the wrong mic or the wrong pre, or maybe it's the wrong snare drum, or you're you need to change the drum heads that you're using, or whatever. You know, just the considerations like that. Like learn from those types of mix decisions. You know, if you if you feel like you always have to cut this frequency or compress this way on that instrument. Try to learn from those situations and say, well, how can I remove that mix, you know, problem, if you will, so that next time I don't even have to do anything to that, you know, that whole plug-in slot or series of plug-in slots that I had to use were completely negated by better technique while recording. Uh, So that's my tip. Try to learn from those. All right, next question. What reverb did you use on your so-called studio reverb that you mentioned? Okay, so I've got two... Uh, effects sends that are studio reverbs as I call them and that's Dark Studio and Bright Studio and basically I'm using a plugin called Valhalla Room it's a really cool reverb plugin, it's one of my favorites I bought it like right after it came out and then it seemed like it just exploded and everyone started loving it it's like $50 it's a great plugin that sounds really amazing but I really love the plugin it works really well Um, so on my two returns I've got in order i've got an eq a delay and then valhalla room and basically on the eq i'm rolling off sort of lows and highs uh, to make sure that not too much of that is going into the reverb in the first place and then uh, it's going into a delay now the delay is set to a hundred percent mix um zero feedback and it's just a little bit of pre-delay. So Valhalla Room does have a pre-delay on it. Um but I just decided to do it with this plugin. In case I ever want to time the pre-delay, I don't have to add that plugin. I can just open it up and change the delay. So I set the pre-delay in Valhalla to zero. And then in the plugin, I believe I set it to a thirty-second note, maybe a sixty-fourth. It's really, really short. Um, but that way, if I ever wanted to make that pre-delay, uh, you know, it ends up to be something like you know, under 50 milliseconds. It's a pretty short pre-delay. And I have that on both of them, I think. I think on the Bright Studio, I just have a fixed 20 millisecond. I don't know. I haven't opened it up in a while. But the presets that I use for the Valhalla are different. They're presets that I've refined and adjusted over the years. Like I said, I've had the plugin for a long time, and I've been tweaking both of these presets for a long time. So one of them, I think, uses the dark room uh, algorithm, and I'm not, I, you know, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head what the settings are, I think it's maybe point seven point eight seconds, so 700 or 800 milliseconds, pretty short, and then on the bright room, it's probably about the same length, about 700, 800 milliseconds, um, but it's a, it might be, it's probably the medium room algorithm, or maybe the, there might be I don't know which room it is, but there's a couple different algorithms. And then uh, the brightness is turned up a little bit on that. The high cut is is not as low as in the dark room. So basically, they're just two separate returns. They're really sort of short-ish ambience, they're not too long, they're not too short, Uh, really just nice to add some ambience on something without sounding like reverb, so much as it sounds like, oh, it's in a room, and I have the dark and the bright, because uh, that just sort of depends on what it is I'm working on, if I want it to be a little more subtle, uh, I'll use the dark room, if I want it to be a little more noticeable, I'll use the bright room, um so on things like acoustic guitar it's kind of a toss up sometimes the dark room works really well just to add a little bit of space um and not only does the dark room have less top end the dark room has a little bit more low end too uh whereas the bright room is a little bit more high passed in the low end so that it doesn't have as much of that um uh, so if i'm using say something on like kick drum, if I wanted to actually put a little bit of reverb on kick drum, I would probably use the bright room. Uh, So I'm getting more of the attack, but I'm not getting the boominess. But, again, it just depends. Sometimes I'll try it out, and I'll say, you know what, Eh, I'm not really liking it, so I'll try the dark room. Um, That's One of the reasons why my default mixing template that I have been working on for years and years uh, is the way that it is, because I've refined these reverbs and delays and things, uh, just slowly, subtly adjusting this, adjusting that. I've changed some of them out. I've gotten rid of some that I just don't use anymore. I've changed out the plugins that I've used. I've just been refining it forever because it makes it so easy in the moment to just audition You know, like, okay, I want some ambience on this vocal. Let me try dark room, or, you know, dark studio. Okay, no. Let me try bright studio. No. Okay, let me try, you know, dark plate. No. Okay, let me try the EMT plate. No. All right, let me try the ambient plate. No. Let me try the spring reverb. Okay, that's cool. Like, I can easily audition those without having to think about, like, you know... Which plugin am I going to use, and what preset, and then sit there and mess with a preset for 30 minutes? Like, instead, it makes much more sense to, you know, when you have some free time, go into an empty session, bring up a vocal and maybe an acoustic guitar, an electric guitar, and maybe some drums, and start making presets of your own in reverbs and delays. You know, start messing with uh, all kinds of different things that you would put on your default template. So, maybe a couple different reverbs, a couple different delays. Try to think of the different reasons you might want to reverb. You know, maybe on a snare, or maybe on a vocal. Like, try to come up with the most killer snare reverb that you can, or the most killer vocal reverb, or the most killer, like, room reverb. You know what I mean? Like if you mess with these things on their own and then you save them as your own presets, which, again, I just don't know why you wouldn't want to, um, then you can put them on your mix template already set up, ready to go, ready to send a vocal to it or whatever. It's very, very simple. saves you a lot of time and keeps things flowing, keeps things creative, keeps things fast. All right, next question. What was the weakest part of the recording-slash-production, in your opinion? Okay, so to me, a lot of the raw tracks were actually recorded pretty well. Um, There were some issues with noise on the bass and on the guitars and on the vocals. Um, That was definitely an issue that, uh, you know, like I said in the podcast, you normally, the mixer normally doesn't fix. Um, they might use a gate, but they're, you're, you're not usually going to go in there with Isotope RX and fix those problems unless they just have to. Um, you know, usually if you're, if you sent that off to a big name mixer, you know, they might do that. They might have their assistant do that or whatever, but sometimes they'll just be like, Hey, listen, I need you to clean this up and send it back to me. Um, but like I said, in this case, that was part of the deal. Um, so... That was definitely an issue—the noise on the tracks, and there was some bleed on the tracks, or it seemed like uh, maybe the mics were placed a little bit too close to the amps or the vocals or something. When it comes to like, there was that spot in the song where you could hear him turn on his pedals, and not that it's really a big deal, but it was just kind of like, huh, that's that. It makes you wonder, like, how close was that, you know, were the pedals to the mic and. You know, was that potentially another source of noise? Or, you know, it kind of gets your brain wondering. Uh, The other thing that I noticed is there were a handful of sort of sloppy edits on the guitars. There were some, like, cut-ins and stuff like that. They were just kind of sloppy. I don't know if they were just, like, the crossfades were not done well, or maybe the crossfades were done too short, um, something like that. Maybe there were no crossfades. It's hard to say. Um, That was another part I thought was kind of weak, uh, I would say probably other than that, the kick drum definitely was n- was hard to deal with. Uh, I think that was more of a tuning issue than a miking issue, um, a drum tuning issue or maybe a drum dampening issue. Um, it just sounded kind of strange. It could have been a miking issue. I, you know it's hard to say. Uh, The bass was alright, it wasn't too bad other than the noise, it was a little bit slappy, but again, that's not really a recording issue so much as it is a playing issue, the bass was a little bit too spanky and kind of slappy, I think it could have been played a little bit cleaner Um, and I think the guitars, the guitars were dynamic, but not to a point when it was annoying there weren't a whole lot of weaknesses in the grand scheme, just little minor things, and And what's funny is, you know, the little detail things, they really do add up over time, you know, like, you would say that, oh, you know, you're not going to hear that edit in context, and oh, you're not going to hear that, you know, once it's in the mix, but again, you say that 50 times, and, you know, soon enough, it's something just, it starts to sound a little sloppy, Um, so yeah, you do have to care about those things, they do come back to bite you later, you know, that, I've heard that statement said before, like, oh, you you know, you won't hear that in the mix. That is not the point. You know, the point is you could call it, like, you know, being true to the profession or whatever. you You know, you could call it, like, humility, however you want to phrase it. You know, like, not just half-assing something because you won't hear it, like... You know, do it right. Like do the job justice. Record it right. Don't don't let a sloppy edit happen. You know, if that if you got a vocal part that clips and you know, don't just cop out and be like, well, I think that was the best take. You know, it okay, it very well could have been the best take. And if it really was the best take, then, you know, sure, keep it. But I mean, if it's just on one word or whatever, just, like, try to get it again. Like, try to record it again. Or or just build in that in your mind when you're recording. Like, all right, here are the problems that could exist. Noise, uh, clipping, uh, sloppiness here, sloppiness there, whatever. I need to be, like, on point in the moment, ready to check for those things. Another thing like that is uh, bleed on drums. You know, when you're getting sounds, when you're recording drums, you can't really check bleed really that easily because you're sitting there listening to the drummer, you're like, hit your snare, okay, hit your rack tom, hit your floor tom, you listen to everything in context. You can't really understand how the bleed is, how, you know, how much bleed between the drums and the drum mics there. Are, there is until you record the drums and listen to the tracks. So, you know, I highly recommend doing that. Like, when you record something, you know, at least on the sound check, like when you're just getting sounds and whatnot, or if it's, like, the first take, like, just take a second and just, like, solo it up and listen to it. Like, just to check if there's nothing weird going on that's going to be a surprise later. Like... Uh, if you listen back to the vocals in solo, you know, and really listen to them critically and just be like, all right, is everything good? There's not anything like, for example, here's another great example. Uh, you know, one time I was recording a vocal and I was hearing this distortion, but it wasn't clipping. And I was like, where in the world is that distortion coming from? It's like, he, he's not singing that loud. Like I've had louder singers. the cl- The preamp isn't clipping. The compressor's not overdriving. Nothing's... You know, where's it coming from? Well, it turns out that there was a snare drum in the room that was on. And so when he hit that loud note, it was exciting, the snare drum, and it was buzzing, and it sounded almost like distortion. Um, So, like, little things like that you have to pay attention to because, again, like— one sloppy decision left unfixed, you know, later, if you do that 50 times across your all of your tracks, will come back to bite you, and the overall production will suffer because of it. So, uh, to answer the original question, you know, what was the weakest part of this production? I would say just some of those detail things, like noise, and, you know, some sp- Little slappy bass, and the bass was had some intonation issues, and the the guitar amp was a little bit noisy, and you know just minor things like that that add up to sort of be like you know that could have been better, that could have been better, and that you got to fix. You know, I mean, you don't have to fix them. You know, that's uh, that that is, there is something to be said for like you know like hey we you know, we just want to leave this natural, but. Again, that can be used as a cop out too. This type of production, you know, this isn't like a garage rock band. Like, this isn't like a punk rock band where it's like, screw it, you know, who cares if it's a little noisy? It's not like that. Like, this is a a song that needed, where like the vocal needed to sound upfront and intimate and smooth and clear. And so it's like, noise is not gonna fly with that type of goal. You know, same type thing with the bass, like we want the bass to sound full and smooth and fat, not spanky and slappy, Um, you know, it's not what we want. So, you do have to gauge those things based on what the production needs and sort of the goals of the production. So, yeah, I hope that answers the question. All right, somebody asked this question on the Facebook and I also got another email from somebody who asked a very similar question and basically it was how real time is was this mix, you know, how long did I actually take to mix the song including the noise reduction, tuning and analog treatments. So the pre-mix treatments of tuning, noise reduction, and the analog treatment on the vocal uh, took a total of about an hour and a half to do that. Um, Most of that was spent tuning, but I would say probably a good 30 minutes or so was spent doing sort of noise reduction on the vocals and on the bass, and then those tracks were brought into Melodyne. Uh, to be tuned maybe you know 30 minutes on the lead vocal 15 on the backing 15 on the bass just checking for various things double checking it all and then uh, you know bringing those in and then I ran the vocal out through uh, that EQ and the compressor which took maybe you know five or ten minutes total um, you know a couple minutes to get the sound you know route everything how it needs to be routed get the sound and then do a sort of five minute playthrough to print it back in. Uh, but then the mix overall really only took me about you know four or five hours., uh, so what you're hearing in the podcast is very real time, and that's you know me mixing it and explaining it also what i'm what I'm doing. Um, so yes, I, I I have mixed this song before, but even then, I mean, this is not a crazy, complicated song., uh, it's a pretty simple mix. There's you know one lead vocal, there's one backing vocal, there's like, two two main guitars, there's a couple leads, uh, there's one bass track, there's, you know, uh, like, f- six or eight drum tracks. It's not a super complicated mix. There might be, like, I don't know, 30 tracks total, something like that. Uh, I'm, I don't remember, but, um, you know, I've had mixes of 100, 120 tracks... Those are complicated mixes, you know. Even if the stuff is recorded impeccably, they're still difficult mixes to sort of uh, get a hold on and 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 automate all that stuff and balance it all and make sure that it you know it, it just takes a while. Um, but yeah, this mix probably took me maybe four or five hours. I did cut out some things from the podcast. There was a couple times where um, you know I was listening to something over and over. And, you know, I ended up, like, sort of going back and forth and checking it in the mix, checking it in solo, checking it in the mix, checking it in solo, um, you know, where it added an extra, like, 30 seconds or something like that, like, just, you don't really need to hear me just listening to it back and forth, um, because then I'll, I would say something like, okay, I'm gonna check it in the mix, and then I would play it, and so you'd, you'd hear the effect anyway, but, um, there was one time where I listened to the mix just as a whole, just like, I just want to check where I am, and I listened to the whole thing start to finish, but I didn't do anything, um, and I cut that out just because I figured, you know, you've, you've already heard it enough, I'm sure that you're you wanting me to just move on, so that was in, a you know, five minutes, but I didn't cut out, like, hours of material here, you know what I mean, it just... You know, seconds here, maybe a minute there, uh, but really only a couple of major edits on uh, on the mix. Everything else is just me cutting out some space between me saying something and then pressing space bar. You know, like just to keep the uh, just to keep the flow going. So, to answer your question, it is very real time. Um, yeah. Okay, next question is, if I send you one of my songs to mix, will you do a Let's Mix and Master a Podcast series with it? So this is a great question, and I've had this question a couple of times. Um, so if you do send me one of your songs to mix, there is a chance that I will ask you Um, you know, to do the podcast, you know, I'll obviously ask your permission if it's okay for me to do that. Um, but I, I usually look for something very specific, um, about a song that sort of says to me, all right, I think this is going to help people because XYZ. Um, if it's a genre that's a little bit strange, or if it's a song that's a little bit like, you know, your average person isn't going to like listening to it for three hours or whatever, like, I try to pick a song that's going to be, like, pretty enjoyable to listen to that, that most listeners would like and wouldn't, you know, just be annoyed the whole time. <laughs> I mean, I'm just being honest. Um, so... Uh, but I don't like do requests like if you're like hey I'm gonna send you a song but you have to do a podcast over it like I don't do that like I want on average you know your average podcast listener that's a fan of this show to get something out of it where you know I talk to podcast listeners and I, I get their emails I talk to them often and so I have sort of an idea in my mind about like what's going to help these people I hear these types of comments a lot I know people have this type of room you know these type of speakers or instruments or, you know, these types of plugins or this software or whatever. Like, I I really try to just pick something based on sort of my mental picture of that. So, uh, yeah, I hope that answers the question. So here's actually a question from the band Cavern Company. I sent them a message and asked them, uh, do you guys have any questions from listening to the podcast? Um, They said, uh, You made our mix come alive in a unique way and in a way that fit the song perfectly. Do you go into every project with a sort of holistic vision or... Uh, does the vision kind of find you as you mix? That's a great question, and we talked about that a little bit uh, so far. But basically, it always depends on the song. You know, sometimes the band is very clear and the recording is very clear. There's a lot of intention. Um, you know, you hear like as soon as you pull up the raw tracks or even the you know the rough mix, you hear like, okay, I know exactly what they're going for. And then, boom! You just fly and you go, right? It's like sometimes that happens, and that's great when that happens. It's one reason, you know, I'm a big fan of um, of bands doing demos before they come to record with me because that makes the recording process easier. Because when they when they've done demos at home, that makes the recording process much clearer, much easier. Which then, of course, makes the mixing much easier because you've had this sort of vision from the get-go, from day one, like, this needs to sound like this. Like, I already know. I've thought about it. I've already done my homework. I know that I want this, like, this sound for this band or whatever. So it's kind of the same in mixing. Like, when I get a song, sometimes that's very clear. And you can hear, like, this was clearly thought out very clearly. Other times... I do kind of have to find that vision. Sometimes the band is a little unclear. Um, Now, how do I find that vision? Um, How do I have a vision? How do I get a vision for a song? You know, does it just pop into my head? Um, Where do I look? A lot of times I try to listen to the lyric and I try to listen to the beat and I try to listen to sort of the feeling of the the mid-range instruments like guitars and keys. Uh, For example, let's let's talk about the song that we did for this series, Dancing in the Dark. Um, The lead singer's voice uh, is sort of soft and low and intimate. And then the lyric has these sort of... Uh, references to sort of dreamy and yet sort of comforting images, like uh, it almost makes me think of uh, lying on the floor in your bedroom, like a wood floor, and like the sun is shining through and uh, it's warming up the floor. And I think we all know that feeling. It's a great, it's a great feeling, right? And uh, that sort of and and you like see the sun like illuminating the veins on your eyes. Things like that, like, that's sort of what I imagine, and in my brain is, okay, hold on to that, okay, put that, you know, put that on the shelf, and then hold on to that, and the other things, there's sort of this, like, dance beat on the drums going on in the choruses, and uh, the guitars have this sort of ambience, so it's kind of spacey at the same time, so in my brain, I'm like, okay, so it's got, like, this sort of happy dance beat going on that sort of feels good and makes you, you know, makes you smile and move a little bit, but then it's got these sort of spacey guitars that are a little bit more uh, dreamy, and so you have to kind of imagine those things in your mind, you're like, okay, so it's almost like, uh, I used this, I said this to the band, this is my description, I said it's almost like you're telling a child a story about the stars, you know, so it's like intimate, but it's spacey, but it's also like comforting at the same time. So you have to somehow like, and and I'm not trying to get like super metaphysical on you guys, but, but you have to think of it like an art at some point or another, because that's what it is, you know? And so in my mind, I have these sort of images in my head and, and I think to myself, okay, well, like, I need to make the vocal intimate and I need to make sure that it's not like too ambient, but it still has ambience, but it, it has an intimacy to it. But the, you know, the guitars need some space, but the drums, I don't want them to be too like out there and like big. They need to be kind of like, you know, poppy and, but still have like a room ambience. But so that all just is part of my personality as a mixer and how you handle that is part of your mix personality. If these tracks were given to some other mixer, he might have sort of heard some of those things in his mind, but he would have probably had a very different image And the mix wouldn't have come out the same. Like it might have been kind of similar, but what elements he chose to feature, how he choose, you know, would choose to process the vocal, you know, how the guitars were processed, how, what reverbs were chosen, all those things are very personal and they sort of are just extensions of that image in my mind. And that's just me. Like you might hear raw tracks and come up with a completely different way to, to imagine the vision. That's how I do it. That's what makes sense in my mind is to sort of imagine like, what's this song about? Like what feelings do I feel when listening to this? And what, what feelings were, you know, were the, were the lyrics trying to convey and what, you know, what does it sound like the singer is feeling When he is singing or she is singing. Uh, What do the guitars sound like? You know, how does that feel? How does that feel? And if they're different feelings, um, you know, there are times when mixed emotions, you could call it, from a song. For example, in this one, where we had sort of like dancey drums, but then like intimate vocal and then kind of spacey guitars. There are times when you would say like, those aren't clear. Those are expressing different things. And that argument makes sense. And there are other times when you would say, like, every single instrument in the production needs to be expressing the same emotion. And that's also true sometimes. Again, it's not always the case. Um, if this were like a hard rock song or like a really aggressive, sort of fast rock, I mean, think about something like Rage Against the Machine, right? Like this aggressive 90s rock. I mean, the vocal, the guitars, the bass, the drums, all of it in a Rage Against the Machine song, all of that is, like, in-your-face aggressive. Like, there is nothing like chilling out, like, you know, expressing a different emotion. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like, that's that's not that type of production. But in this production, there's a blend. There's a blend of different different feelings, different vibes, and you just have to work with it and just see what happens. You know, sometimes you hit the mark, sometimes you don't. And uh, the band was really happy with it, so I guess I hit the mark. So that's good. All right, another question that I got was uh, how did you make that mono overhead track stereo? I didn't quite understand that. Uh, so basically, I used, if I remember correctly, I used a plugin called MicroShift. Now, MicroShift is nothing more than some delay and some modulation. You can use this Waves Doubler. You can do it with individual plugins. Basically, all it's doing is uh, putting a little bit of delay on the left and on the right, and it's usually very short, under 100 milliseconds, okay? So, like, maybe 30 milliseconds on the left and 90 milliseconds on the right, and then there might be a little pitch modulation on those to give it some width, Uh, And I'll tell you why. I've had some people ask me about the technique of duplicating a track, panning one left, one right, and flipping the phase on one of them. That is not stereo, okay? That's not stereo. That is out of phase. Uh, When you sum your mix down, down to mono, that is going to disappear, whatever it was. Um, whereas if you take a guitar, for example, duplicate the track and then delay, you know, pan them hard left and right, but then delay, let's say the right one by 30 milliseconds, those will not cancel in mono. They might cancel a little bit, uh, but not, not really. Whereas if you just duplicate hard left and right and then flip the phase on one of them, it will cancel. I mean, that is, it just will. Uh, So when you go down to mono, it's going to cancel completely. So that's not stereo. Don't do that, all right? That's not real stereo. Um, That is mostly to be used for mid-side processing only, okay? So try to avoid that. Uh, but if you're wanting to make something stereo like a shaker or, uh, you know, an overhead or something that you kind of want it to be, st- quote, stereo, you know, and it's kind of fake stereo, but at least it won't collapse in mono, um, where you duplicate something or you add a plugin that does a little bit of, de- of delay on the left side, on the right side, um, and you can do it a handful of different ways. You can even just, like duplicate a track and delay one of them and then pan them hard left and right and maybe put like a chorus on one of them or like a little bit of like very slow vibrato just something to vary the pitch just a little bit even like you don't even necessarily notice it but it's essentially doubling it's essentially like doing like fake doubling um it's done on vocals a lot you can do it on lots of different things just to get unique sounds um check out MicroShift from Soundtoys, and check out Waves Doubler. Those are both really great plugins for doing that. All right, last question is, how do you know when the mix is done? You seemed a little bit hesitant. Um, (laughs) That's a good question. Uh, So it is always difficult. It's always a challenge to say, I'm done with the mix. It's done. Um, Because, you know, you pull it up the next day, you listen to it, it Sounds a little different to you. Now, luckily, in this case, I pulled it up the next day, and I had a couple of little tweaks that I felt uh, that I felt helped, and I felt that they were the right decision. So I felt really good about it the next day, um, the day that we did the mastering show. Uh, so I was happy with that, but I pulled up the mix and made a couple tweaks. But it is difficult, and uh, the line that you'll hear me say time and time again is, mixes don't get finished, they get released. And it's really true. You you really could mix a song a hundred different times in a hundred different ways with different equipment or with the same equipment or, you know, only on Tuesdays or with your pants off or like whatever. Like you could change anything you want to and it's going to be different. Like there's no way you can really make the exact same mix twice in a row. And every time you pull up a mix, you're probably going to hear it slightly differently, Um, especially, you know, later, a couple years go by and you listen back, you're like, what was I doing? Why did I, why was that bass so loud? Or like, why is that vocal so quiet? Or, you know, why is the snare so fat or so thin or whatever? Like. That's just part of the process, you know, so how do I know when it's done when you say, you know what, the I would say one of the best answers I heard about this, and I honestly don't remember who said this or where I read it, so I apologize in advance, I, I don't know who said this, but um, I read something that said, when doing anything messes up everything, the mix is done. Uh, so basically what that means is, like, if you turn the vocal up by, like, a dB and that, like, screws up everything, uh, then you know the mix is done. If you, you know, uh, turn, pull the fatness out of the snare or pull the, add more fatness to the kick, it really jacks up, like, your mix bus compression or something, like, then you know the mix is done. Now, of course, that's not always going to be true. I mean, there are some mixes that are sort of left open enough where it's like, you know, I could keep tweaking this thing for days and days and days. But in the normal situation, for me at least, I would send the mix to the client and they give me feedback, which is always helpful. Even if it's simple, even if it's like, you know, the low end sounds kind of strong. Even though you might think that's like a stupid mix note, it's not. It's really important because they don't, you know, they're listening to it like a listener and they're listening to it like you know, you can't, you know what I mean? They're, they're not hearing it the way you're hearing it. So if they're like, the low end seems really strong, um, you know, you can check it out and be like, well, is it? And if it is, it's like, oh, well maybe I need to pull down like the kick a little and maybe the bass a little or whatever. Uh, just things like that. Now in, in some of your cases that, you know, some of you guys listening, you're not mixing for clients. You're doing it for yourself. So, I recommend sending your stuff to a peer that you respect that either is an engineer or a musician or someone with good ears and a decent sound system, and just ask him for a basic, like, hey, what do you think about the mix? Don't ask them, like, how's the kick? How's the bass? Like, don't don't overload them with that stuff. Just ask them in general, like, what do you think about the mix? And... Hopefully they'll give you a response that's helpful, um, because I know that a lot of you struggle with that. If you're not, you know, if you're mixing for a client, you have that back and forth where they're like, "Well, you know, I feel like my vocal needs to be a little louder," or "I feel like there needs to be a little more reverb on the snare, or whatever." And they'll challenge you in that way, and they'll they'll make you think about it a different way. And you know, when you're working on a bigger budget project, there's often more people involved, which is good and bad. Um, but there's often different people in the room. There might be a separate producer. There might be a separate engineer. There might be you know uh, some guy who's mixing a couple songs on the record, and you're mixing some of the others. And sometimes you can talk back and forth, and it's like, hey, you know, I really like what he did here uh, on in the recording. I don't want that to be messed up, uh, and I feel like it's kind of gone too far off the map. We need to bring it back to more like the raw sound that we got. Or like, you know, I really like that vocal sound, but I kind of miss the effect that we had in the. Mix or in the second mix or whatever, just things like that. Like, that's really helpful from clients. Um, But if you're on your own, you don't quite have this. So, I do recommend trying to send it to somebody and get a little feedback. Um, You know, it's helpful. So, how do you know when the mix is done? When you say it's done, when you finally let it go. I do recommend, you know, I, I, I will say, like, the longer you work on a mix, the worse it will get. I can almost guarantee you, like, Almost every time, the worse it will get. Um, you know, if you've done a mix to a certain point and you know you feel like, man, it's just really, I'm really not getting better. Unfortunately, my best advice to you is to start over, just start a new session, bring all the files back in, and start over from scratch. Because if you've gone so far where you're like adding this and adding that, and automating this and automating that and it just gets seems to just get worse just start over you know hear it with fresh ears i know it sucks but that's just part of the deal sometimes you know i once watched uh andrew sheps mix a song and about two or three hours into the mix he just drops all the faders down to silence and it's you know it's kind of like shocking you're like what did you just do but it's like oh he's on a console it's very easy for him to just drop them and rebalance quickly It's not quite the same as, you know, in the box for whatever reason. We don't just easily, like, drop all the faders. Um, It's not something that's, I don't know, it just seems like something we don't do in the box. And the, the moral of the story being, it's okay to do that. Like, it's okay to drop all the faders down to zero. Keep all your plugins on if you want, but drop all the faders down to zero. And it's okay to just start the mix from scratch. You might be able to make a better mix in two hours than you have been with two weeks of working on the same thing. So eventually you just got to let it go. You got to say it's done. Have you served the purpose of the song? Have you highlighted what you want to highlight? Is the band happy? Does it sound good to you? Does it sound like music? You know, have your peers or friends or whatever said, man, it sounds great, then cool, you're done. All right, so I hope that you've enjoyed this FAQ. I hope that regardless if you've finished the series yet uh, you know of the Let's Mix and Master a Song or if you listen to it at all, I hope that it's helped you and given you some new things to think about. And for those of you that did listen to it, I appreciate it again. I appreciate you taking the time, and I appreciate Cavern Company for uh, letting me do this song on the show. It's been really cool. People have given me a lot of great feedback. So um, thanks, everybody. Um, As usual, you can send me an email, recordingloungepodcast at gmail.com. Check out our Facebook page and our YouTube channel, which are both facebook.com slash recordinglounge and youtube.com slash recordinglounge. If you'd like to donate to the podcast every time I come out with a podcast— You can uh, set up a Patreon account and be a patron of this podcast at patreon.com slash recordinglounge. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. You can read more about it on the website if you're not familiar with it. It's a really cool thing that really helps out this podcast. If you're overseas and uh, you're worried about VAT charges, I did have one podcast listener, I believe from Germany, say that it's cheaper to donate on PayPal. Uh, They charge sort of a a high fee for some of the people that are overseas. Um, So... If you go to sign up for our mailing list, which is recordingloungepodcast.com slash up, there is a link in the mailing list that says donate to RL, donate to Recording Lounge. You can also find it on the desktop version of the blog, which is recordinglounge.blogspot.com uh, It doesn't show up on the mobile version, I don't think but it does show up on the, uh, on the full website version, if I remember correctly um, So, thank you guys for tuning in, I hope that this whole series of Let's Mix and Master Song has been helpful for you I know that the last time I did it, I got a lot of great comments, people seem to really like it, so uh, I'm glad that you guys have enjoyed it so far, I've gotten a lot of great emails. Um, go check out the band Cavern Company, follow them on Facebook and Twitter, or I think they're on Instagram. I don't remember. Uh, but go check out the band. They're a really cool band. Um, thanks guys. I'll talk to you next time.